Hey everyone, this is Christian Benavides, Digital Content Director at Texas Watch, and I'll be your host in this episode of Texas Tales. On today's episode, our Executive Director Ware Wendell sat down with legendary attorney and advocate Rodis Spivey to reflect on his career and our courts. This is Texas Tales. Welcome, Broadus. Uh, you and I both have roots in the panhandle, family roots. Correct. My, my, half of my family's from the panhandle, and I know you grow up in the panhandle. And your people were farmers and ranchers, is that right? Right. And so you, you grew up tending to the animals and working the fields. Um, what lessons did you take from that time, and what did you carry through uh, from that time as a lawyer? Hard work. Yeah. Uh, remember one day in particular it was really hot it was like uh, june but it was just it was hot as if it were august and uh, we had a big lunch and i was sitting down i was going to rest for a while my daddy said well let's go and i said let's let's rest a while and he said turn and said get your ass on that tractor <laughs> <laughs> and i did <laughs> Uh, that's that's what farm uh, farming and ranching is about work early mornings yeah yeah and late nights and late nights too the sun goes down at least so what what time would you start your work day as a lawyer uh what time did you get up in the morning four o'clock four o'clock in the morning my dad would come in and say brodus he called me brodus get up come back in about 15 minutes i wasn't up he had a pan of cold water Mm. And it made my mother and me both mad because it got the bed wet and me wet and cold. <laughs> but I learned to get up early. And you kept that as a lawyer as well. You'd start yeah. your days early. Yeah. And and I've I've heard some stories about your work ethic. It's pretty legendary. You'd put in regularly long days up to or sixteen yeah, hour days. Is that right? But I don't really consider it work if you're doing what you like to do. It's just not work. If I think of work as picking cotton or hoeing, hmm. that's work. Right, right. We but, get to do inside work right. where it's nice and air conditioned. It's nice to do inside work. <laughs> um, so a, a $100 loan, if I have this right, from Dean Keaton kept you in the law school at UT and helped you to graduate. Is that right? That's correct. Uh, and you and I both went to UT, and, and Dean Keaton is a legendary figure, not just at UT, but around the country. He, he's one of the greatest men I ever knew. He, uh, I don't, surely he had some bad points. Madge, his wife, who I represented one time, mm. could probably tell you, but I didn't see anything. He was the ideal person and the ideal dean, and he loved the law students, and that made a lot of difference. And of course, he was the authority mm -hmm. on torts. And when we say torts, we're talking about civil wrongs. That's Somebody right. who hurts you, uh, but it's not a criminal case, it's a civil case. Right. And so did you get to take torts from Dean Keaton? I did. Yeah, what'd okay. you think about that class? I thought that was, I died and gone to heaven. <laughs> he, uh, I was working full time while I was going to law school at the telephone company. and. Uh, I didn't miss a class of his because it was every day was a new day, and he had such a colorful way of making a point. And he usually made points by asking questions, and he'd razz you hmm. regardless of the answer you gave. He was just a few steps ahead of you. Right. 
but uh, he, he liked his students and, and his students loved him. Thinking back to law school, what, what should we be doing today to help law students and young lawyers as they're entering the practice? You have 57 years of law practice to draw upon, but looking at it today, what should we be doing to help those young folks as they're starting to cut their teeth? Well, frankly, I think we're doing a good job. I think the law schools are doing a good job. I think the bar association is doing a good job. I think we're focusing on the right thing. I think we're focusing on helping lawyers in different specialties and in the general practice of law. I think attitude has so much to do with effective practice of law. And I think that our bar association brings that attitude to the lawyer and the lawyer to the people. Let's talk about that attitude. What, what was your attitude as you approached cases in the practice of law? I, I know you to be an optimist. Yes. Yeah. It's, it's fun. It's, uh, I've always enjoyed helping people with their problems and I can have the thorniest problem and yet go to sleep at night and not worry about it. I learned early on when I was doing divorce practice I'd sat and listened to a woman tell me what a sorry devil she was married to. I thought that sounded like my wife. And then our next client would be a man and he'd be tell his wife was just terrible, terrible, terrible. I said, yep, sounds like Ruth Ann to me. And uh, I learned that our, we're, we're, we're pretty common people. We have common problems. Mm -hmm. And just when you think somebody's a perfect human being, you'll find out they're just a human being. Yeah. And that's the good thing about law. It, it evens everything out, everybody and everything. You have tried over 600 lawsuits, which is just a, an astonishing number. I don't know that that's ever gonna be duplicated in our time. Probably not, but most of those trials were early in my career. Uh, when I worked for Huff and Bowers in Lubbock, uh, they they didn't uh, they had a bunch of what we called dogs. They weren't great cases. <laughs> they were difficult cases, and I had lost I think twenty in a row one time. I was at Odessa, and I went over to a bar to kind of drown my sorrows a little bit after a deposition. And Warren Burnett, a legendary character from West Texas, great lawyer, came in and said, "How's everything going, brothers?" And I said. Not very good, Warren. What's happened? I said, well, I, I've lost 20 cases in a row, and I'm about to believe I'm not cut out to be a trial lawyer. And he said, my friend, you have not touched the hem of the robe of the master. And I said, <laughs> what do you mean? And he said, I was working for John Watts, and I had lost 21 cases in a row, and I too thought I would never be a great lawyer. And then I won the next uh, uh, case, and I forgot every, uh, about all those other cases. And, that gave me a heart, you know, gave me an incentive. To oh, and Warren's one of the best to ever yeah. do it. And so, so you've had a very successful career. You've won a lot of cases. You've, you've lost a few too. Uh, if you try over 600, you're gonna lose some. Uh, how do you deal with both a win and a loss? You go about it, first of all, by preparing your client because it's amazing how many people will bring you their case and they really feel like they've got a perfect case. And I've had so many clients say, you can't lose this one. Mm -hmm. And I say, I'll say, well, you brought your case to the wrong man. And I said, what do you mean? And I say, uh, I learned a long time ago, any case can be lost 
and any case can be won, and you don't know what's going to happen. Our job is to give the jury the facts and, and bring them as many facts as we can to persuade them that you're right. The other side's doing the same thing. The jury can't hold for both of us. Sometimes they hang up, but not usually. Mm -hmm. And you, we're going to lose some, we're going to win some. So let's just do the best we can with what we've got. Making sure those expectations yeah. are, are I set. I stole it from John Sims, a lawyer in Lubbock, mm -hmm. one of the best lawyers I know and funniest guys, a former pro foot, baseball player. Mm -hmm. And he would say, his answer to every challenge was, I'm just going to do the best I can with what I've got. And that's what you do. It's that's all you can do. Yeah. Two things that stand out to me, uh, it's <clears> just the number of cases that you've tried, but then the, the broad array of cases that you've tried as well. You've tried just about every type of case that there is under the sun. I mean, from criminal all the way through every type of, of civil case. And today, you know, it's such an era of specialization, it seems, but I'm fascinated with how you were able to approach new areas of law, master very complicated areas, and then go try a case. So what was your approach when you were taking on these new areas? Well, there's a secret, and the secret I had help. <laughs> Most of my cases come from other lawyers. They may not be trial lawyers. In fact, very few of them are trial lawyers, mm -hmm. but they're good lawyers, and they know the case. And they impart to me their analysis, and so often they're right. Mm. And it helps me to pick up where they're leaving off, but they, uh, they prepare me better than I can prepare by just reading the deposition or talking to the client and witnesses. And that's, that's a very important point. People think it's, you know, just a just a solo show over here, but we all have teams of people who help us. Yeah, and preparation is the key to trying a lawsuit. I, I, I'm not gonna say it's a key to win because you can try the best case you've ever tried and lose a case, uh, but it helps you win cases, but it helps you, more importantly, it helps you try cases correctly. It's amazing. Most of my business comes from former clients and jurors, and mm -hmm. many of those cases came from cases I lost. People know when they're getting good representation. Jurors know when a lawyer's doing a good job, and I asked a juror one time, why did you hold against me? He was complimenting me. I said, well, the facts just weren't with you, brought us. Mm. Next time, bring some stronger facts in and I'll hold for you. <laughs> <laughs> Are there certain things that you try to have done 60 days out from trial, 30 days out from trial, two weeks out? Um, what was your process as you were preparing for a big moment like that? I don't prepare by the calendar as much as, just as early as I can. Hmm. Uh, lots of cases get prepared right after they come in. Uh, but you have to keep burnishing a case, talking to witnesses, checking. Uh, witnesses are human beings. They, they make mistakes. Mm -hmm. It's not often that witnesses or clients try to deceive you. That's a very rare thing in my experience. But it's quite frequent that they're wrong because we're all wrong every now and then. Mm -hmm. And we get the, they get the impression that this, this is what happened and that's what a jury's gonna find. And that's not necessarily so. The jury doesn't necessarily decide the case like you think it's 
should be decided. <laughs> you co-authored a book, uh, Broke Not Broken, Homer Maxey's Texas Bank War. What can you tell us about that case? Homer Maxey, first of all, uh, in my career, he's the father of one of the great artists. Uh, she came out of Lubbock, Texas, but he was probably as well-respected a man as it was in Lubbock, Texas, and he had borrowed a, a little over a million dollars on some property, and his favorite bank, the bank he was banking with, decided they wanted that property. Yeah. And you wouldn't think a bank would do that, but they did that. And they, they literally took his property away from him, called his note early. Mm -hmm foreclosed on the note and took the property. So he wanted to sue him. We sued him. And it was a long trial with a tough judge, Judge Patmore, a woman judge, who didn't give you any advantage at all for being a plaintiff or a defendant. She just was a tough judge. But that jury stayed with us and found for him. And he re renewed his faith in the jury system and mine too. Sure. Well, you're taking on a very powerful defendant there with a lot of ties to the community. And yeah, big, uh, biggest bank in Lubbock and a very popular bank and ended up with some of their customers on the jury. That's kind of tough to be looking people in the eye and say, I want you to hold against your bank. Right. <laughs> but that's the power of the jury system yeah. in that um, you get 12 people from the community there to, to look at the facts, give a hard look at the facts weigh the credibility of everyone, and to, and to reach a decision. It's amazing how jurors rise to the occasion. They really want to do a good job. And if you arm them with enough information, they'll do a good job. You've talked to so many juries through the years. What was your approach um, in, in communicating with juries, how you were helping to, to tell them about your, your client's side of the story and what they were looking for from you as they were working to solve that problem? I think one of the keys is on board our examination. You can make a brief statement of your case, very brief, but tell them the weak spots too. And then on your opening statement, you reiterate, but you end up with 12 jurors, in most cases sometimes six, like in federal court or mm -hmm. JP or county court. But you have to be candid with the jury. They, they really will make you pay a serious penalty if you exaggerate. And we all lawyers have a tendency to want to put forth the best side of their case, just as important that you tell the jury early on what the weakness is. And the best way to say it, I think, is now the defendant claims. Hmm. And the defendant claims this, and the defendant claims that, but get all of your soft spots out before the jury so they don't feel like you're hiding it or trying to sell them something. They're not going to be surprised. You're right. shooting straight with them always. Yeah. And early. Early. That's, a, that's absolutely correct. It's, it's a... It's a heavy burden to carry uh, when you when you take on someone's case. It's a cause uh, for them and often for society as well. And and I've known you through the years to be someone who's always happy. Yeah. And and so can you talk with me about how you've managed 
that stress through the years because it can eat a lot of people up and I've never seen uh, it touch you. And so I'm fascinated by that. Well, stress works on different people differently. And we all have different responses to, to difficult situations. But one thing that helps me is to look at all the weaknesses in your case early, recognize them, admit that you've got weaknesses to your case, but stress the strengths of your case mm -hmm. and give the jury something to support a, a verdict. You, you, the jury don't decide just because the lawyer wants them to do something or asks them to pretty please do something. They want to have evidence and it, it's amazing how capable and honest average people are when they get on a jury. And your positive mindset, is that something you were just born with or have you developed it? Have you nurtured it through the years? I, I don't know. The, I think part of it came from uh, growing up on the farm and ranch and and uh, dealing daily with problems and realizing that life's got problems, but you got to live anyhow. And uh, seeing people go through death in the family or uh, suffer an embarrassing loss of some kind and realizing that good people have troubles too. That's right. And bad people sometimes are doing the right thing and you got to balance it. And there's only so much you can control. We still farm up in the panhandle a little, and sometimes you got drought, sometimes you got, you know, bugs that are eating up your crops, sometimes yeah. you got hailstorms, and you can't control any You've of that. You've got to deal with every, all the bad things in life. That's right. And just keep in mind the other, other, other guy, the other side, having to do the same thing. And it's, uh, it's amazing to me how sometimes real good lawyers, especially from large firms, seem to rest on their confidence that the very fact that they were such a large firm and a, such a good firm and a highly recognized firm, the jury's going to go with them. The jury is a great leveler. Mm -hmm. It helps the person that's not quite as sharp as the other fellow, and it uh, brings down somebody that I've seen really, really good lawyers, sometimes the smartest lawyers I've ever seen do a bad job in the courtroom because the jury wasn't buying their product. They weren't, they weren't presenting the case properly. Mm -hmm. You've talked to a lot of people through the years. Am I right that you got to meet uh, Mikhail Gorbachev? Oh yeah. Was this when you were the president of the International Academy of Trial Lawyers? Yeah, it was ironic. I was in uh, Florida, uh, St. Petersburg at the same time he was. And I thought, well, heck, I'll just give him a call. And uh, I called and talked to his front man and said, I told him I was president of the International Academy of Trial Lawyers, which is kind of an introduction. And I'd like to have a short interview of Mr. Gorbachev. And he said, that's fine. Turned out to be that Mr. Gorbachev was one of the neatest, nicest people I've ever met. And he had a great, uh, person that was managing his business and uh, totally friendly, obviously highly intelligent, great sense of humor. And uh, it's easy to see why he was such a success, even in Russia. What did y'all talk about? Well, we talked about combines. <laughs> we talked about tractors. 
I told him that I knew that he grew up on a farm driving a combine, and I said, I did too. And his first question was, what kind of combine did you, did you drive, have a tractor-driven combine or a self-propelled? <laughs> I said, well, we had a tractor-driven. He said, I did too. <laughs> you had that in common. <laughs> well, talking about him, of course, I think about um, what makes America unique. And to me, it's, it's the value that we place on individual rights in this country. Could you talk some about that? and what makes our American system of justice so unique in the world? It takes a combination of things. I don't think you can point to any one factor. Mm -hmm. And I would start with the judges. You've got to have good judges. And fortunately, we have great judges. All of us have experience with the judge that rules against us, and that's a bad judge, of course, when it rules <laughs> against you. But most judges I've found try to do the right thing. And that's all you can ask if they try to do the right thing. Mm -hmm. And it's okay to get mad at the judge, but you ought to get over it in about three weeks, you know. <laughs> uh, judges ordinarily are trying to do the best they can. Jurors are trying to do the best they can, and that's what you've got to remember. Mm -hmm. They can rule against you, and they will rule against you if you don't bring them the facts right. to support your verdict. You've been blessed with, with long partnerships, both personally and professionally, with your wife, Ruth Ann, and with Dickie Gregg, who's been with you for many, many years. Could you say some words about both of them, both Ruth Ann and Dickie, and what's, what's gone into helping to sustain those partnerships through the years? Well, I think they share one characteristic. They're really good people, both of them, just basically really good people. Dickie has an added advantage that he's married to a very good woman, Mary Gay, his wife. Uh, she helped make an even better person out of him than God intended to be. <laughs> uh, but Dickie has a great sense of humor. I think that's one of his really strong traits. He's extremely intelligent, but you wouldn't know that to see him in action. He kind of is effective at, at hiding it. But uh, secondly, as I said, he's a really good person and, and your goodness or badness comes out in the courtroom. Jurors, uh, you can't fool 12 people. Uh, you can sometimes fool a judge for a little while, but mm -hmm. that's one person. But when you get to dealing with a jury, they want to do the right thing and they resent it if you go too far or if you don't if you're not competent, don't go far enough. Uh, Dickie has a talent for being humble and uh, getting the jury to laugh at himself. Mm -hmm. And they, it doesn't take long for them to like him. And that's a, that's a key. Once they like you, they'll open their ears. I've seen him in court and he's one of the best communicators I've ever seen. He's special. <laughs> He is special, and uh, it, like I say, I think it's a combination. I think uh, I knew his mother and father, and uh, if you'd have picked a mother and a father, you couldn't have picked a better mother and father than he had. Mel Gregg, his father, uh, didn't display much of a sense of humor, but he had a really good sense mm -hmm. of humor. And uh, Dickie learned from him a lot, and uh, then, 
part of it's pomp and, pomp and circumstance. And he has, he has responded well to some of the crises of life that make him a great lawyer, a great yeah. person. Yeah. Looking back, and it's almost 60 years of law practice here, what changes have you seen in the practice of law and, and where do you think we're headed next? I am not a proponent of big changes. I, I, people say quickly there's been a great change in the law. The changes have been gradual, and thus we can accept them. Uh, and it's been an improvement. Uh, I can't think of any area of the law that hadn't sustained some improvement. But we learn, you know, to, to uh, take it easy on the jurors, let them out early if you've got things to take up with the court. Uh, Juries want the judge and the lawyer to respect them and their time. And that's a common mistake we lawyers make, hmm. that we don't give them enough uh, respect. And, you know, you can say honestly that there's good judges and bad judges, but the truth is there's very few bad judges, very few bad judges. I've known one or two in my entire career. Now, as I said, when a judge rules against you, that's a I can't say a bad judge, but he's done a bad thing, of course, rooting against you. But uh, judges are not as interested in making you happy as they are trying to make a decision that will stand up on appeal. Mm -hmm. And that's a legitimate concern, and, and that's what makes it our system work. At Texas Watch, uh, we fight against tort reform, limitations on lawsuits and damages. What are your thoughts on that subject? I agree with Texas Watch, and I've got to tell you, I'm so biased and prejudiced in your favor and in <laughs> favor of your organization because you're doing a sp splendid job and a very necessary job of bringing it to the attention of the people. Otherwise, the people, the public wouldn't know about it. And that's one of the keys, I think, is to educate the public. And that's what Texas Watch does so well and as an impartial institution rather than biased on one side or the other, the public, I think, uh, approves of that and thus their ears are open and they listen to you. And uh, when it comes to improving the jury system, they're all for it. This is a question that I'm gonna ask of each of our guests as a, as a concluding question. Looking back and looking ahead, Broadus, what does the word justice mean to you? Doing the right thing. Very simple. Doing the right thing. Uh, I, I quoted John Sims earlier, just do the best I can with what I've got. Uh, and you do that and a jury's gonna do the best they can with what they've got from you. Well, Broadus, you are a living legend. Um, you have conducted yourself with humanity and humility and good humor throughout. Uh, you have done more for the pursuit of justice than anyone I know. And thank you for the example that you've set. And uh, thank you for being with us today. I appreciate your very kind words. Yes, thank sir. You. Thank you. Texas Watch is a nonprofit, nonpartisan citizen advocacy organization that takes on corporate wrongdoers, fighting to restore responsibility and protect Texas families.
We can't do this work without you. You can support us at texaswatch.org donate. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and Instagram. Knowledge is power, and there is strength in numbers. Join us.